Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Good to be with you. Today's topic is how the three deadliest leadership temptations are God's invitation for us. But before I begin, let me note two uh, invitations I'd like to extend to you. The first is a four-hour event called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Master Class. It's a four-hour event. It's going to be in January, late this month, in about three weeks. It's a deeper dive uh, into things like the underlying theology of creating a culture that deeply changes lives, things like be before you do and limits, slowing down, what is the new leadership scorecard for success? How do we engage discernment in that process? And uh, it's going to be held uh, just January 25th and 12 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash masterclass. Bring your team. Well worth it for a deeper dive than a podcast could ever go. The second event is held in February. Uh, it's one we have often called uh, Discover the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course. It's a free one-hour webinar, uh, basically how do you get started to integrate uh, the two-part Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course into your ministry? Uh, how do you create a foundation for the culture of deeply changing people's lives? Again, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discover for that. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash discover. Again, we hold these uh, kinds of webinars and seminars often throughout the year. So if you're listening to this podcast much later than uh, in January and February of 2023, just check out on our website for what's being offered in the next few months for wherever you are today. All right, with that, let's dive into uh, the three deadliest leadership temptations that also are God's invitations to us that come out of Matthew chapter 4. Now, last month, I spent some time listening to uh, a couple of young pastors uh, who were you know, leading churches that are thriving about what is the leadership scorecard for success for most young leaders today in their 20s and 30s in particular and perhaps 40s. And uh, they shared how, uh, you know, for most people, the successful pastor leader today has influence. That's the key word. Are you an influencer? Are you producing new content? How many Instagram followers do you have or Twitter followers, Facebook, YouTube views, TikTok uh audience? How large is that? And if you want to plant a church or you want to expand your church, you want to create a large digital footprint and develop digital credibility. And so the result is you're always thinking about this wide audience on social media. That's where your time is going, thinking about clever tweets, even as you're preparing sermons. And uh, what happens is all this good content that we talk about, for example, in Emotionally Other Discipleship, it's just, these are just good sound bites. Uh, but your mind is constantly on that issue of how much influence am I having beyond my local church? I'm not so much doing a spirituality of deeply praying and making disciples and being incarnational like Jesus and the 12, etc. cetera. Uh, it's very seductive. They were sharing so enormously powerful. There's lots of anxiety and discontent, struggle uh, among pastors and leaders. And as they were just talking, I could feel the breath of the beast, uh, the demonic uh, on pastors and leaders uh, around the world uh, today. Uh, but I also realize at the same time that these are the same ancient deadly temptations that I faced in my younger years. In fact, these are the same ones that have been around since the beginning of time in the garden. So the three temptations that we encounter 
in the wilderness of Jesus uh, with Satan actually are the temptations that form almost like a paradigm for every temptation. They're kind of like the root of all the other temptations. Uh, and they're ours, all of ours at different seasons of our lives. Anything from be powerful or spectacular or relevant or, or, or rich, uh, it looks different in every generation or every culture, but underneath, uh, this, they're the same. So these are the three greatest uh, temptations that come to Every, every believer, but especially to those of us in leadership. Uh, and they come at different phases and decades of our life, and they're multi-layered. They're so profound. And uh, so actually, I think of myself who came to Christ at age 19. I've encountered these three deadly leadership temptations in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, in my 50s, and now in my 60s. I'm encountering them again, just in a different form. And I can expect that they're going to be coming to me, these temptations from the evil one in my 70s, 80s and 90s. What's so interesting is uh, the Desert Fathers uh, uh, spoke often about you can expect temptation until your very last breath. Anthony the Great, the first founder of uh, the Desert Fathers, actually said that you can expect temptation until your very last breath. In fact, he says whoever is whoever has not experienced temptation cannot enter the kingdom of God. He even added. Without temptation, no one can be saved. And what he was tapping into was that temptation actually is deeply connected to our formation in Christ. So actually, two things are happening when we're in a season of intense tempta temptation. One is that there is uh, evil power. Uh, Satan, the very name Satan means tempter or seducer or splitter of relationships. In other words, there is a, a very real demonic power that wants to kill you, that wants to put a heavy yoke on you, that wants to take away any joy you're having in Jesus, that wants to uh, convince you that there's a scarcity and you better protect yourself and get gather and all you can and protect it. You better fight for yourself and uh, use your power to put up you know, barriers and, and uh, save your life. And so there is a, and he wants to cut you off from Jesus. At the same time, uh, these temptations uh, are part of God's plan for you to form you. If you look at Luke 4 and the account of Jesus going in the wilderness, it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert and there the devil tempted him. It's very interesting. You know, the spirit leads Jesus in the desert and the devil then tempts him there. But he comes out of the desert in Luke chapter 4 full of the spirit. He goes in, he go, I'm sorry, he goes into the desert full of the spirit. He comes out of the desert in the power of the spirit. And then we see Jesus exercising great authority and power. His very presence exudes the power of God. In other words, the great temptations that we face are the ordinary way every one of us grows in Jesus. There are no exceptions. It's not just you, but especially for those of us who are in leadership. I often think, am I the only one having these horrible thoughts and fears? And, and the answer is no, no, no. In fact, deep transformation uh, can happen in your life in no other place but the great difficulty and furnace and crucible of temptations. Uh, so let's dive into the three temptations and I'll expound on it a bit more as we go along. So the first temptation that comes to Jesus is basically, you're a loser. You ever heard that one? You're, you're a loser. Uh, it says a tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And then Jesus answered, it is written, humans or people do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And basically, uh, Satan says to Jesus, God isn't taking care of you. Uh, look, I mean, you're hungry, you're suffering, things aren't going well for you here in the desert, you don't have any bread. The world, there's no salvation coming to the world. You better take charge of your life uh, because look at how painful things are. And you say, you think you're the beloved? Uh, how can you be beloved of God and have so many problems? Look at everybody else. Nothing's happening. Do something. Turn these stones to bread. But Jesus responds, quoting scripture from Deuteronomy, you know, people do not live by bread alone, or humans do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, or actually the word in Greek there that is proceeding, that in the present tense is flowing constantly from the mouth of God. In other words, God is speaking in constant communication with the world. He's nourishing us from his word, and we are called to actually live by every word that's being poured out of the mouth of God. That's the image there, every word pouring out of the mouth of God to us. In other words, uh, Jesus is in loving union with the Father, and so uh, he's listening. And he's steeped deep personally in Scripture. He's not in Scripture for other people first. He's in Scripture for himself, uh, and he loves Scripture. Uh, And, uh, you know, God's drilling, he's allowed it to be drilled into his mind and his heart, and the invitation for us is to be good soil uh, and to be continually feeding on the word of God that's being constantly being poured out from the mouth of God. And scripture helped Jesus understand the low, unsensational road that the Father had him on. Uh, again, contrasting with being an influencer, you know, whether by social media, you can have people think they are, you're fantastic, buy followers. Um, you know, again, in my in my earliest days, it was have the biggest ministry and church and you know, be sensational and popular and relevant and be considered great. But he says, no, no, the key question is what's God saying? And he's able to say, I will trust God for my needs. I know I am loved by God. I've got nothing to prove. And God brought me into this tough situation, this desert, and he's going to get me out. And so he waits for the father. The rocks remain rocks. He doesn't turn them into bread. He could have turned them into bread. Do you understand? He had all the power to do it, but he doesn't. But you see, the great invitation here is that is to is to allow scripture to be our actually our food. It's more important than actual physical food. You know, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that's being poured out from the mouth of God. We don't approach scripture so we can teach other people, so we can have you know, great messages or talks or great posts on social media. Uh, we, we are in scripture for life because it is our life. Jesus is our life. And, and we learn from Jesus the, continue, the importance of continually feeding and drinking on, on scripture. So my first work and your first work is to be present with God and myself and to be good soil. And with four soils, to be good soil, not thorny soil, not rocky soil, but I've got space in my life, spaciousness to hear and to listen, so that, that I can I can allow the gospel to actually be lived in my life that I'm preaching. Uh, you know, if you are the son of God, if you're beloved, he just been you know the father just said you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased, and uh, I I, I want to live in that reality. So I'm meditating on texts like Romans chapter eight. Uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? And uh, I'm resisting using my power and position and gifts to make things happen so I don't feel like a loser. You know, I, I was reading recently about, you know, be on your guard against all kinds of greed from Luke chapter 12. In fact, one of the major qualities of being a leader in God's church in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus uh, is to be free from the love of money. 
And so we soak in scripture and our image of God is formed. You know, God is not stingy. You know, God is not one false move God. Uh, Our God is, I love you no matter what. I'll take care of you. Uh, Don't worry. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything's going to be added on to you. I've got you. Again, we live by, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. In other words, when we're suffering and tempt, great temptations that come our way, and they're, they're, they're suffering, they're, they're difficulty. And, and, but the gift in them that's hidden within it is that we, we're, we can't make things happen. Uh, we actually experience like, God, where are you? It's like Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, there's almost a sense of like, oh, Lord, Simone Weil talked about how affliction is one of the greatest revelatory moments of God's love for us because we're where we're forced to stand before God like Jesus without any illusions or obstacles. We can't hold on to anything. And just like Jesus on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he, there was no hope, but he loved the father and the father loved him in this loving union in that place of him, in a sense, surrendering his power uh, was a powerful place and a place of a tremendous experience of the love of God. And so Jesus doesn't exchange God for a substitute. Uh, he learned obedience from what he suffered, is what Hebrews 5, 8 says, and so must we. In other words, the choice we make in moments of great temptation is that we, we do we love God in those moments and stay with God? And actually, Simone Weil talks about it. These are the moments for, in a sense, undiluted contact of our souls with God. And when Jesus refused to clothe himself in earthly power and prestige, and he undergoes affliction, she writes, this suffering is no longer just a pure evil, but it's an opportunity for a full revelation of God's love. And so Jesus renounces power, as the world understands it at least. And so we too, in a sense, we, we renounce power. We surrender ourselves to the Father. We're crucified with Christ. And so we, we give up our control of the world uh, using our gifts and our force uh, and we surrender our wills to him. So often we think we can control the world by force and by our gifts. And in the great temptations, we learn that we cannot, we're finite. And there are moments that we're stripped of our pretensions and illusions that we can do what we, we, we can, we can use our power to be safe and be alive and be quote successful. No, it's in the hands of God. So again, that's just the first temptation. Uh, humans shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But the second one is is different, but it's, it overlaps with the second one. And basically, I summarize the second one as simply this. You're not doing enough. Uh, you know, get busy. So the devil takes Jesus to the holy city, and he has him stand at the highest point of the temple. The devil says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, the Lord will command his angels to take care of you. They will lift you up in their hands. Then you won't trip over a stone. He quotes Psalm uh, 91 to Jesus, a promise of God. So jump off the top of the temple. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is also written, says Jesus, do not put the Lord your God to a test. What's so interesting about this text is that the devil uh, is in scripture, quoting scripture. He's in church. Uh, he's in the holy city. He's in the holy temple. He's even quoting holy scripture. You can find a Bible verse to bless any initiative. I know I've used many of them. And so here, you know, the, the, you know, the devil himself quotes scripture. So especially when I get impatient, I can find a prophetic word or some scripture, look around. I feel like I'm falling behind. 
I'm not doing enough. Everyone else around me seems to be flourishing and doing great. Here I am slugging it out. Uh, in fact, if I were, you know, if most of us were giving counsel to Jesus, we'd say, well, Jesus, just jump off the, the top of the temple. The Father's going to catch you. And then people are going to believe in you. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, but Jesus doesn't. He quotes, no, do not put the Lord your God to a test. The point is that sometimes our, quote, success can actually be a failure. In other, every, and this was an opportunity for Jesus to jump off the temple. A miracle would happen and people would believe in him. But it's a great lesson here is that not every opportunity is from God. Uh, in other words, it may be somebody else's opportunity. It's not right now. Is this from God, this opportunity, or Satan? Is this an open door or a trap door? Uh, listen, I love ideas. I love creativity. I love, I see opportunities everywhere, but they're not all God. And actually, when the devil leads him to the highest point, that high point may actually be a low point because it's outside of God's timing. And he says, you won't even stub your toe. God's going to catch you. It's a great idea, but it's a misuse of the Bible. And uh, God invites us to a deeper discernment uh, of Scripture. And it's interesting because the Holy Spirit leads Jesus down that those temple steps uh, into suffering and to a cross. And I think it's a great, I mean, how else do we learn that the way of the spiritual life is inward and downward? Uh, discernment has is nuanced. It has levels of applying scripture. It's slow. And we don't, and said, you know, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy, do not put the Lord your God to a test. Listen, even just this past few weeks, uh, Jerry and I, <clears throat> Uh, sat down and we recognized we have a lot uh, of, in particular, family stuff coming at us the next six months. And, uh, but I've had some plans myself and of where what these six, next six months are going to look like, work-wise, etc. And um, I was feeling like I had too much to do in too little time as we were looking at our schedules. Uh, now we talk a lot about leading out of our marriage, but it's actually leading out of my marriage and family. We have four daughters and uh, and grandchildren, five grandchildren as well. And we realize the next six months, uh, there's some needs that I want to meet within our own family. And I also am very committed to living spaciously. So I'm living the message I'm preaching, and I've got time to allow the Word of God to go into my life, to be good soil and to listen, etc. So Jerry suggested, why don't we just redo our rule of life, uh, and each of us, and just for the next six months. And so I did uh, that day, and I reviewed it the next few mornings, and it was clear to me that God was inviting me to pause a, a big project I've been working on that I've been very excited about. Uh, and then I realized I was angry, and I, I, my opposition to change, I didn't want to change. I've got a plan as a way it's going to go forward here, but my self-will was so intense, and I'm like, oh, Lord. And then I just saw from you know, Luke chapter 12, hypocrites, you learn how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Uh, you can see the rain coming. You can see when it's going to be a hot day, but you can't see, Jesus says to, to the religious leaders of his day, you can't see what God's doing right in front of you. This Kairos moment. And I realized, oh, God has me in a season. God's doing something, but I don't want to see the season. I just want to plow ahead. And uh, again, do not put the Lord your God to a test. And so uh, I, after a little bit of, you know, a little bit or a couple of days of some anguish and kind of hitting this rule of life a, a second, third, fourth time, I just let go. I just surrendered my power and uh, I, I, I and, and just said, okay, this, this project's on pause until further notice, or at least the next six months. And I'm going to focus on what's clearly before me with 
uh, my marriage and family and, and walking with God and, and the few priorities I've got with the EHD, but I'm not going to launch this new project. And uh, I was flooded with spaciousness and a feeling of joy, but it was painful to get there. Uh, listen, the most universal religion in the world is to be a worldly success up and to the right with a bigger, better, faster. That's why the Pharisees and, you know, Sadducees, Jesus said to them, you know, everything they do is for people to see. They love the place of honor. They love to be greeted with, you know, respect in the marketplaces. They, you know, they're hypocrites. They love to make theater. That's what the word means in Greek, to be esteemed. You know, it, I don't know if you've ever read the book by Malcolm Muggeridge, Christ and the Media. It's a series of lectures he gave in the 20th century. He was a BBC commentator uh, in the 20th century. And uh, his whole life work was with the BBC, British Broadcasting System, in, in the media as television came to light and et cetera around the world. And he wrote about the, the temptations of the wilderness. And uh, he wrote about how the incarnation of you know, God in the flesh and Jesus represented the greatest threat the devil had ever experienced. And because the devil knows the ways of the world better than most of us because he had a big hand in shaping it, he writes. But, uh, you know, if anything, the fourth temptation would have been, you know, puff Jesus, a, a marketer in the Roman Empire would have come to him and, and uh, said, Jesus, you know, I'm going to puff you up and make you big all over the Roman Empire. Uh, but Jesus says no, because he's not interested in, in fantasy and image. He's interested in truth and reality. And Jesus was involved in the great drama of incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. Uh, and, you know, Muggeridge writes about how technology, while it can be a gift, can have the effect of drawing people away from reality into fantasy. And that's getting, that's moving away from Jesus. It can appeal to our vanity, carnality, lust, and pride. And I'm not against technology, but it's a, it's a, it's a tough taskmaster, uh, and it can move us away from Jesus. And he, he wrote that, you know, he spoke about how the camera demands an exciting picture to hold people's attention or else if it's not on a camera, it didn't happen. It's kind of like Instagram and uh, it can make it more difficult to communicate what's true and real. And he, he writes about what's required to make a true Christian TV program. Uh, and he says it takes a true Christian. And he gives the example, he made a program on Mother Teresa. That was a true Christian program because she was a true Christian. And what makes a, a true Christian church? Well, it's true Christian leaders. Uh, in other words, it's your depth, your formation, uh, allowing God to form you in the crucible of things like these great temptations so that your life is a gift, but it comes out of a deep place inside of you. I think Muggeridge was tapping into something there. Not that I'm, I'm a believer in, you know, we need to use social media, but very carefully and be about the incarnation, uh, just like Jesus was about incarnation. We forget that one of the greatest attractions of Christianity is the fact that it, it seems absurd. You know, Jesus said, he proclaimed, the last will be first. The weak are strong. The humble will be exalted. He who is least among you is the greatest. And what people value highly is actually detestable in God's sight. I mean, it's the opposite of the world. It seems so absurd. And God speaks in a still, small voice, quietly, uh, inside of us. And he leaves the thunderous words to Caesar. I can imagine when Paul landed in Europe, he didn't look like much. Uh, and probably people said, he doesn't, he doesn't look like he's going to inspire a civilization and change the world. We think, what a poor guy. He probably needs somebody with influence and power to back him. But he actually did have a backing, but it was not of this world. And so do you. 
And so Jesus understood his backing of the Father. He was grounded. He didn't do anything speedy or hurried or spectacular. He learned obedience from what he suffered. And a student is not above his master. Uh, uh, a teacher, a student is not above his. Uh, a student is not above his teacher. A servant is not above their master. The way of Jesus is the way for every one of us. Uh, and Jesus simply stayed with the Father and his plan, and so must we. Remember, success is first and foremost doing what God asks us to do in his way and in his timing. That's why the most important question is, what's God saying to me right now and to our ministry uh, and to those I'm leading? So when you hear you're not doing enough, uh, that temptation, uh, listen, you don't want to put the Lord your God to a test. And the temptation is to work 10, 12 hours, 15 hours a day versus I just got a few gifts I want to bring them to offer them to God, to his larger work. And it may seem very small uh, in the big thing of the world's needs. But you know what? God can do in a moment what I couldn't do in 25 years. You ever heard of uh, the poet Rilke, the German poet? Uh, on my journal, and I've meditated on this the last you know few weeks, he talks about, you know, let your discernments come from deep within. That They cannot be hurried or pressured, he writes. But he says, allow every germ of feeling to grow to completion wholly in yourself in darkness, to wait with deep humility and patience the hour of birth of a new clarity. There's no measuring time there. A year there has no meaning in 10 years or nothing, but it only comes clarity to the patient ones. So I love that. He talks about we want to, we want to be like trees that ripen so we can give sap. I think that's a beautiful image. Oh, the third temptation is this. He comes to Jesus and says, you're not accomplishing anything. You're not accomplishing anything. The devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and says, if you'll bow down and worship me, uh, I will give you all of this. And Jesus says to him, get away from me, Satan. It is written to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And uh, the temptation there very simply is, uh, it's the most powerful and uh, subtle of all temptations, the one we get all mixed up, and that is to make the work itself God. It's very difficult, especially for those of us who are in leadership, to distinguish sometimes between our work that we're doing for God and God himself. And the moment we do absolutely anything to keep our work from failing, uh, and we make our, then we make our work God. And then perhaps without realizing it, we're actually worshiping Satan himself. That comes from a commentator. Our identity and our role get tied together with Jesus, and it's a big mix-up. And this is the temptation uh, the very thing Jesus wants is the salvation of the world. We want to help people. That's why we got into this. But G the devil's offering it to him without suffering uh, and without limits. Uh, and so he says, just got to bow to me for just a moment, you know. And Jesus refuses. He goes, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Tremendous, tremendous truths, you know. Uh, humans do not live by bread alone. Here's the, here's the three great invitations hidden within the greatest temptations is to learn the hard lessons of humans do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, it's going to take suffering and temptation to really learn that lesson. I'm learning it ever more deeply. Do not put the Lord your God to a test. I want to be prudent. I want to be discerning. I want to discern the spirits uh, and not put the Lord your God to a test by using scripture to get something really out of my own self when I want to be surrendered of all of my, of my power, surrendered to God. And then I want to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus quotes those three scriptures. I, man, it's, it says in verse 11 uh, in the Matthew text that the angels came at that point and took care of Jesus. 
I promise you, God will take care of you if you'll stay with him uh, and resist the temptations uh, and receive God's invitation for your transformation in the middle of the crucible of those temptations when they come. And you will be flooded with his peace. I, I know it. Uh, I love leading for God when I do it Jesus's way and I worship him alone. But it's not that easy, surrounded by what we're surrounded by and my own family of origin stuff and our own internal stuff. So here's, Lord, I, I pray, you know, make us this kind of people. And you may say, man, this is impossible. Well, as Jesus said, with human beings, this is impossible. But with God, absolutely everything is possible. With human beings, this is impossible. How can I resist these temptations? They're so powerful. Well, as Christ said, with God, absolutely everything is possible. Lord, make us these kind of people. So again, my two invitations for you as we close our podcast here is uh, to an event called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Masterclass that's going to be held uh, January 25th. Just go check out details of what that's going to be at, be about at emotionallyhealthy.org slash masterclass. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash masterclass. Or uh, discover the EHD Discipleship course, a webinar. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discover. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash discover. Listen, it's been so good to be with you today. Uh, I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface uh, of this text. It's so bottomless and profound that I pray you'll meditate on uh, Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. And in particular, the three scriptures that Jesus quotes back uh, to the evil one, that those truths will get so deeply embedded in your heart that you'll live freely, joyfully, contentedly uh, following the easy yoke of Jesus and that your life would, might be a gift to the world. So God bless everybody. It's been great to be with you uh, and have a great day. Bye-bye.